And now, Turnbuckles, Trunks, and Titles presents to you Nicholas London and Q-Ball Carmichael. Uh, 
you know, we, we send our prayers over there to all the U.S. troops and anyone else that's over there defending uh, the great country of America and, of course, you know, Canada and everyone else that's with us uh, that are over there trying to make things better and trying to clean up over there. Yeah, I, you know, and again, I think it's the, I think it's the consensus of most, you know, there's, there are people that, they hate the Republicans so bad that they'll side with the terrorists just so they don't have to side with the fact that he did the right thing. But that's okay. You know, um, it is what it is. And he's going to address the nation tonight, and it'll be pretty interesting. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, we, we got a, we got a lot of wrestling stuff to talk about. we got a great guest on tonight, a buddy of mine for a really long time going to be on the show. Mr. Mike Maverick, or if you saw him in his WWE, he was jacked up. And, uh, you know, he's been around a long time, been around the wrestling business, grew up uh, a wrestling fan, and he used to go to the Jordan Arena and stuff years ago. I'll let him tell you the story story because it's a lot better, but uh, he's going to be a great guest. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it, too. I I always enjoy, you know, you get these guests on, and I almost get caught up in the moment where I end up sitting back and listening to you go. I mean, it's always fun, and it's great to hear the the stories of the uh, of the boys in the business. Well, you know, you remember years ago, I like guess six years ago now, maybe seven, that we did Chinlock for Chuck, and that was for Chuck Coates, and Chuck came on the show. Well, Mike was one of the inspirational guys behind that. Mike and Chuck have always been very close, and Shane and, and Matt and Jeff were all in that click. Shane Helms, Matt Hardy, Jeff Hardy were all in that click. And I had a lot of spent a lot of time with those guys in the mid nineties and late nineties and early part of the millennium. So, you know, it was uh it, I know we had Chuck on after the show and stuff and you know, Mike is one of the big guys that was behind that that got that going and off the ground. So, you know, I'm looking forward to talking to him. But Usually when I talk to him on the phone, we try to avoid talking on the phone anymore because it's three to four hours. It really is. We end up texting back and forth, and uh, we should be calling in shortly. He's the guy that actually got me started doing wrestling camps instead of seminars. And I'll tell that story when he gets on the when he gets on the phone or when he calls in because it's really all all up to him why I did it. <laughs> it was, it yeah, was well, his idea, his idea in a backwards kind of way. <laughs> I'll see if he remembers what he said when he comes on the air. But that's a maybe we start doing three day camps and really not being a big fan of seminars. Not, well, not, I think I think seminars are great. I think people should go to seminars, but you know. Well, you know what? We do have a call coming through, so how about I put it through and uh, here do we it. go. Welcome to Triple T yep. Radio. Who do we got on the line? Maverick. Hey, up, Maverick. Boy? What's going on, buddy? What's happening, Q? What's going on, my brother? I was just telling Nick, I said, we try to avoid conversations on the phone because they tend to linger for three to four hours. <laughs> we both have jobs now. Back when, back when we weren't working, it was easier. <laughs> I don't need to get fired tomorrow now for something I say on here. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I was I was telling Nick the reason that I do three day camps now was because of you. And I don't know if you remember when we you and I did a seminar together about six or seven years ago over to Eddie Brown's RWC school. And when you started the seminar you looked at me and you said something to me. Do you remember what it was? Uh, I remember the need, seminar. 
we used I think that, it was a big we, hit, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, we packed it. We sold, we only allowed 20 people, and we sold it out. And you looked at me, and you said, Oh, I said, this is, I made more money doing this than I ever did wrestling? <laughs> yeah, not that, though. You looked at me, and you said, <laughs> okay. We don't need three hours. We need three days. Hell, yeah. We <laughs> do. And that's. And you said that to me, and after that seminar was over, it went five and a half hours. But after it was over, and the only reason he even stopped was that he had a show that night. But it was like, you know, we did that seminar, and I was like, oh, you can only do so much instead of, in such a short period of time. And that's why I started doing the three-day gigs. I did do a seminar in Thomas, Thomasville, Georgia in October because I was going down there anyway. So, um, But, yeah, that was one of the reasons why I did camp because – you know, you know what was what was funny about that seminar, and no disrespect to anybody that attended, we appreciate it. You had made a statement to me about somebody walking in and off the street, looking at all these guys and leaving, and what they would say if you asked them ten minutes later. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, I say that to people all the time. I mean, if I line you all up against the wall, I bring some guy in off the sidewalk, and he looks at you for five seconds and leaves. And I asked him two days later which one of you he remembers, which one's it going to be. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, picture that. I mean, no disrespect to any of them guys, but picture all them guys lined up against the wall and Abdullah the Butcher standing there. Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, who, who, who are they going to remember? Yeah, You're exactly yeah. right. You, you could put any wrestler from any star from any era next to them guys. And, you know, I think. Physically, probably the best-looking guy there was, was uh, I think he worked with your buddy Jeff. Um, Rod, I think it was Chris Lee, right? Is that the kid? Yeah, he's a he's a uh, sportscaster. He's a sports. I knew he was going to get into that, but, I mean, he was in great shape. He was the guy that, that came to the show that probably out of that group was in the best shape of anybody besides Hangtime. And Hangtime but Hangtime was there. Because he was just there because he was Eddie's partner. He wasn't, uh, you know, coming to seminar or coming to seminar. I mean, he went and he learned a lot, he said. But, you know, the thing is, if you look at the guys that paid to go, I mean, he was the guy that stood out the most. And, you know, it was funny because I looked at you and you looked at me, and we were long past the era in which we used to hit the gym and tan and do all the stuff that we needed to do. But we looked at each other and we're just like, what happened to the big guys? I mean, you, you think back when, when you and I first met, we started, you know, showing up on shows together and stuff. I mean, there were some big dudes back then, man. And God forbid, you know how it was when we were both up the up the WWE at the attitude, in the Attitude Era. How big were those guys up there? I mean, you know, Hulk Hogan said something one time, and I don't know how legit tall he is, but if he's taller than I'm six four, and if he's taller than me, it ain't that much. But he right. once made the comment, and he was always booked as a big guy. Right. And he made a comment one time, and he said, in the WWE, he was medium-sized. Yeah. And, you know, I, when I got in the business, I was 6'4", but I was skinny. And I was always right. told, you know, you're too small, or you need to put on weight, or blah, blah, blah. And, I, you know, I took that to heart, and I did it. I, I mean, I went to the gym, and now I wish I could put off some weight. But, uh, yeah, you, you were know, I walk in a lot Oh, yeah, but, I, I mean, I walk in a locker room. I mean, I ain't been in a locker room in a couple of years, but, you know, I walk in there now, I look like Gulliver. You know, I mean, <laughs> everybody in there is five foot eight, 
And yeah, you know, I, I mean know. they're all up to my chest. I know. And, I know. It's, I mean it's know, crazy. It's I mean I walked in WWE when I was you know nineteen, twenty years old, and there's Andre the Giant, and Big John Stud, and Bundy, and I mean Giant. Hogan, and yeah, Jake the Snake Roberts was probably what six, seven, six, eight. I don't know how tall he was. Yeah, he's called Michael Walker. I mean, I was like looking up at everybody, and I was like, "Wow, man, these guys are big." But now I walk in there, and I'm like, uh, "I hope I don't step on anybody." Yeah. <laughs> it's you know, it raises the question: where where have all the heavyweights gone? And you know, somebody asked they, me they the other do day, stuff where they can make more money at it. That's exactly they play what football, or they working as bouncers in bars, or I mean, I don't know what they do, but you know, they're not attracted to this business like they used to. No, they're not. And, you know, it's funny because I made a post one time, and I know I knew you saw it, so I think you made a comment on it, but a lot of people took it the wrong way. I said, my advice to anybody who wants to get in wrestling right now is to go to the gym, get on performance-enhancing products, get big, get strong, get in shape, and go play football. <laughs> right. If you want to make money. I know, right? I mean, that's just, that's just it. If you want to make money, go play football. <laughs> so... But, yeah, and, you know, I think that's the other thing, too. If you look at all the time and effort and things that we put into going to the gym, there was an end game for us. The end game for us at the time, there was ECW, there was, there was WCW, there was WWF. So our end game had three distinct possibilities, plus it actually had some pretty decent paying independence. So, you know, you think about it. You put all time and effort in going to the gym and working out and still having to maintain that travel schedule. You could still actually make some decent money. Merchandise, you couldn't buy WWF stuff at Walmart like you can now. You used to have to go to a show there to get it, or, or it wasn't even going online. You could order it somewhere, but it was all manual. So, you know, we could make money on merchandise and things like that back then, and it was worth it for a big guy to get in. And, you know, that's that's the thing with me. It's like, you know, I was six. Six two and a half and 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 two fifty two sixty, but you know I got to wrestle nine eleven the old ECW guy. I got to wrestle Bundy a ton of times. Um, they put me up against Dunwich and Axe. They put me up against the Gene Snitsky. I was Snitsky's first match. He was wrestling with a guy Robert Harper who was just as tall as him. And I would get to work a lot of really big guys around the country because I, even even then I was a bigger guy. Well, like you said, when I'm to the WWE, I, I never forget it. Cicero and I were up there, and I was standing. There was Ron and Don Harris, who were big dudes. There was oh, yeah. Undertaker and Kane. Who we Brian Lee. Brian Lee, exactly. There was all these guys standing there. And I looked at Cicero, and I said, Jesus, this is the land of the giants, man. You know, you go from being a big guy on the Indies to go up there, and you were all of a sudden a small fish in a big pond instead of being a big fish in a small pond. Hey, I got a you trivia know. question for you. Okay. Who came up with the name Jack Duck? Marty? Primetime Brian Lee. Did he really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't it, know that. It was funny. We were – we. Uh, you remember when uh, – I don't know if you remember or not. I don't know if you were on the show, but uh, remember Flex Phenom? Of course. Flex All right, Flex. he was wrestling uh, Jeff Hardy on one of the Omega shows. Yeah. And this was like a few days before there was a TV loop or whatever for right. WWE. Yeah. Right? Something happened where Jeff jumped 
dove or something over the top rope and landed on his head on the concrete and jacked his and you know messed up his neck or something. So we go up Go to the figure. TV and Jeff's up there with a with a cervical collar on, <laughs> so he couldn't work. So I got his spot on all the. T- this is when the, those guys are still doing jobs, and uh, right. I got his spot. Well, I got put into a. Uh, I think this is one of them times where you know I've been doing a little business with the with the tackle box. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I know what you mean. I came walking into the locker room and Brian Lee was sitting in there and he goes, "Man, put your arms down." Don't come in here all jacked up. And then Matt oh and all the guys started calling me jacked up. That's funny. So <laughs> hence the name was born. Story, man. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I like. Well, that then that was right about the time Shane got his gig with uh, WCW, and right Matt had the idea to put me with Murray because we were about the same size, and I said, "Who's he gonna be? Boat up?" And then like Matt called me a couple of days later and said, "You know, you might, you might be onto something there." And it, it spun off of remember remember Marty's gimmick first name Sham last name Pain Pain yeah I said who am I first name Jack last name Dup and uh, Matt kind of pounced on it what <laughs> crazy. so the whole thing started as a rib that's funny I never knew that oh, yeah. I'm like I'm, I figured I figured that you came up with it. I didn't know. I didn't know that's what I. I remember. I do remember a story about somebody telling you. I remember telling me one time somebody told you that though when you walked in the locker room after you'd been into the old tackle box, which I'll I'll tell Nick that story off the air. <laughs> it's, it's sort of funny, like all the old school guys from the '90s, like Tom Brandy, always asked me about it. They got tackle box. I'm like, no. Well, I mean, you can't put your arms down if your lats run away. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, you got big. I mean, there's man. only so much room for the lat and the tricep to coexist. You know who's you know who's a big son of a gun too that they got in the tackle box once or twice was freaking Jason Arnn when he was Jack. Oh yeah, freaking dude. I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something about him. That he was cock strong. I mean, I, I I always you know he might have been a little bit bigger than me at times or whatever, but I mean, he was just strong. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't hang with him in the gym for nothing. Yeah, he was, he was like, uh, he was like working on a tow truck strong from the time he was a kid or some shit. You know I what think I mean? He still is. <laughs> well, you know he's still strong, man. He's, he's one of those guys that will be strong in all life and stuff. But I, I used to, I even got to wrestle him a bunch of times, man. When he was, when he was venom before he left, and man, I'm telling you what, it was like. When I wrestled with you, if I wrestled with a guy that was bigger than me, that was good, I was a lot more comfortable than if I wrestled with a guy that was smaller than me, that was good. Because I knew a big guy could handle me. He wasn't going to go to body slam me and grab my head in the mat. Drop you on your head. Exactly. He was going to suplex me. He could actually get me all the way over. (laughs) So, you know, I I like working bigger guys, man. I didn't even mind working 9-11. Every time he... Every time I'd go to a show, and for a long time he was doing independent shows in the Northeast, the same ones I was doing. And we had a, a match. Our first match, he said, oh, I don't know what to do, you know, because he wasn't really – he was kind of hit the ring and scared everybody off. I'm like, listen, let's just do this, this, this. And I can't remember what it was. It was I was like, well, let's do this, this, and this, and you'll get over great. And, you know, I'll look like a turd and punch bowl, and everybody be happy. And so 
we did it, and he's like, oh, man, it's the best match I ever had. So every time he'd see me at Doug Flex's or one of the Eastern promotions, Donnie Bean or somewhere, he'd be like, you go right straight to the promoter. And, you know, he's a big intimidating guy. You go right straight to the promoter. Goes, hey, man, I work cue ball. Let me work cue ball. Let me work cue ball tonight. Every time he saw me, I ended up doing – Working with him and just doing the same match, but you know, it was it was funny. You know, he, he was, I, I was in ECW, but he was he was gone. I've never actually met him. What was what was he like? Great guy, Big Al, man. He was just, uh, you know, it, he owned a horse farm in New Jersey. Him and his up in uh, oh, I'm trying to think of that the thing. I'll think of it up in North Jersey, but down towards the shore, Jackson, actually in Jackson, New Jersey. Um, they owned a horse uh, stable. And where he made all his money was they gave carriage rides. Like, people would come over and pay for, like, a wedding service, and the bride and groom would go on a carriage ride. They had the big white carriage and the black horses and the whole deal. And uh, that's what he did. So he was he was the same same guy in the gym, man. You know, I was in the gym, and I woke up for, like, half an hour when he gets there, and I think I put up, like, 405 or something for, like, three or four reps. And I go, you want me to strip the bar and warm up? He goes, now I'll warm up with that. I'm like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> this right. Will be the last time I'll, I'll go home now. With you. Yeah, right. I'll just, I'll just go home. I, it took me half an hour to work up to that, and I did it for like three reps, and you're gonna warm up with it. Yeah, no. <laughs> but there are some strong dudes, man. Hey, listen, I was working out there. with Jason one time down there. I'm always uh, just I was sure working it. out with Jason down there in Vass one time, and he was warming up with 225. And he, he he did the old Stefan Marbury grip where you don't put your thumb around the bar. Yeah. And the bar the bar rolled out of his hands and landed right on his chest. And I was yeah. like, oh man, I'm gonna take him to the hospital. And he just reached down there and picked it up and kept going like it was nothing. It didn't even flinch. It didn't even <laughs> flinch. That's scary, man. That's scary. Hey Nick, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this this story that's so funny that you you know the old thing you can't make this shit up. Yep. This is one of those stories. So, Mike and I are wrestling each other for Big Slam down here when he was in Goldsboro, North Carolina. And it's there's a black ring set up in an asphalt car lot parking lot, and it's been there or or a trailer home parking lot, and it's a black ring and it's an asphalt and it's August and it's North Carolina. Uh, If you're not familiar with it, it's 100 degrees, not counting the humidity. (laughs) So it's it's so hot, and this thing had been set up for so long that I think the show started at like two o'clock, and you know. Oh yeah. Now now here's the thing: a year or two later, Mike and I would both be doing. Mike had already done WCW shots, but we'd both be doing you know WWE, WWF shots, whatever you want to call it. Mike got a contract. He was up there. I was I don't know for two three years doing doing enhancement work. So here's two guys that are that are big enough to go up there. We end up, I think, being the opening match for some unknown reason. So we're wrestling around, and it's it's hot, and we're big guys. And I think he goes into the corner and, you know, a couple of us something. But anyway, Mike gives me a snap mare. I land on – and I'm already soaked because by the time we walk to the ring and in the heat and get everybody announced and everything, I'm, I'm one of those guys that if I look at somebody sweating on TV, I'll start sweating in a 60-degree house. So I'm, it's boring off me. So end up, Mike gives me a snapmare, and he gives me a chin knocker. He goes, "Get me up off the mat." So he pulls me up, and you can <laughs> you can see my 
we both looked. You can see my sweat outline on this mat evaporate with right in front of our eyes with the heat waves coming off the mat like you see on the asphalt on a hot road. <laughs> it was like the desert. <laughs> and I'm like, throw me on the side to the concrete where it's cool. <laughs> like wrestling in a cast iron skillet. It was, it was oh, my God. It was so I think we hot. I think we did that whole match on our feet. What did we end it with? We, a sleeper? Yeah, I did. We did. We did. I ended up with a sleeper and I fell and rolled out the wearing ring. So I could be on the cool <laughs> cool asphalt. <laughs> Trying to blow oh, it up somewhere. I, I, I was I was like I'm like, I need a fire hose to hose off with. I mean it was I, I'm telling you, it it was hot. And I remember there was an old guy standing there and there was a bank across the street. You know how the banks have the big digital thermometers and it yeah. said 99 it said 99 degrees and i asked the guy god it's at least 99 right and he goes nah it's 113 he goes but they'll never put more than 99 up on the bank because they don't want to create a panic because everybody will go home and turn their air conditioners on high and then we'll have a power outage so they'll never go above 99 i'm like all right <laughs> i remember when shane came to my house that day and we left a ride in the Thing in the car said 102. It was oh. it was blowing. It was, it was hot. I it started to go hot. back in the house. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> it was it was it was the hot. I mean, I've been in a lot of outdoor shows. You've been in a lot of outdoor shows. I've done shows at the beach. I've never been in a ring where the canvas was as hot as it was that day. It literally, if you if you put your hands on that mat. He would have left burn marks on your hands. That's how bad it was. Yeah, it would burn you. Oh. It was I, like don't, I don't think you to stay down for more than one count. No, I don't think there was. I don't think there was. I think there was, uh, you know, maybe a couple one counts. Get right back up. And I think then there was, like you said, the sleeper finish. And I fell and rolled out on the cool asphalt where I could, where I could sell it. So I woke up. Lay under the ring like a dog. Yeah. I know. It was, hot. it was cooler under the ring than it was above the ring. Man, it was hot. Jesus. I'll tell you what, that's a funny story that we've talked about a lot of times and told some people about that. Just like, and we're not, I mean, there's no exaggeration in that whole story. That's how hot it was. And it was like, and you know, that's one of those things where you, I'm taking a four-hour ride home back to Northern Virginia where I lived for like 20 years, which was great because it was four hours to Carolinas where we worked with guys like Matt and Shane and Jeff and and, uh, and and all the guys, Venom and all the guys. And then it was four hours I could be in Pittsburgh and work with the guys in Pittsburgh and, you know, three hours in Philly to work with Tom and those guys, Tom Brandy and those guys, and King Kalua. So, I mean, it was a great location living there to be able to be pretty much anywhere in four or five hours um, where wrestling was. But I I loved coming to the Carolinas, and I always knew I was going to retire down here. Um, but I'll tell you what, man, there are some – there's not too many god awful hot days like that day. I mean, there's there's a few here and there. We get them, but I mean, you know, when you have a memory of being outside doing something in, like that in a ring, you you compare it. You're at, you're on an air conditioned ride home in your car for four hours, thinking to yourself, you know, I think I'm only going to take gigs in air conditioned buildings from now on. Right. <laughs> to to to. To, to uh, highlight how North Carolina is, um, I remember doing a show in a building with no heat in the wintertime, and we'd go in there in the locker room try to take a piss, and the damn water was frozen in the toilets. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah that it, I mean, fun. North Carolina, it'll be – I mean, you, you're here. You know how it is, especially this time of year. I mean, it'll be 78 degrees one day and 28 the next. Well, that's what, that's what we have. It's going down to here. It's going down to 28 tonight, and it's going to be 70 tomorrow. You know, yeah. it's, I mean, it's, I, it's I like wear a that. jacket today, and I was I was hating it. No, yeah, and you well, know what? Minus 15 it, it, here. It's freezing. Well, you're, you're in Canada. You deserve the cold. I'm in the south. Freezing up here. <laughs> we had a, it was a cold November here. December was warmer than November, which is weird. But, yeah, it's uh, it's not like, listen, you know, I was raised in upstate New York, which is kind of similar weather to what Nick got. It's pretty bad. But down here is it. It's the thing is it changes so rapidly and so fast. You go from hot to cold in 24 hours, literally. But, you yeah, know, I mean, I we're right on that thin. line where that the cold front and the, and the warm front kind of meet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You remember Scotty McKeever? Like, you talking to me? Yeah, you remember Scotty McKeever, right? Scotty McKeever. No. Somewhat, Remind West me. Virginia, he did a lot of WCW stuff. He was a tall, lanky guy. Six two three six six four maybe maybe six five lanky guy he passed away a little while ago a couple of years ago but now nah. how old was he forty he, he was when he died he was in his forties he, he probably would be your age now if he was alive so but he passed away three or four years four or five years ago in his mid forties but he never took care of himself he drank a lot got diabetic and stuff but anyway he's yeah. easy now. <laughs> yeah, no, he used to run shows He used to book me a lot in West Virginia Before I ever met y'all um, I was going from Virginia to West Virginia And I was working for him in the early 90s a lot um, And he was pretty good Because my mom had been sick So I was upstate, in upstate New York a lot with her But when I would come back and I'd be home for a month or two He'd call me and if, if he had a show He'd always get me on it But he used to do these shows And I think, I think if guys had to break in this way It would change them we would he would book six guys. He'd book Roger Anderson and Frank Parker, of course, you know them definitely. Man, those them. guys are pure T so gold. Dude, they were the best tag team that never got signed. They really Man, were. they were they were freaking incredible. They were they were they were crazy good, man. So there'd be Frank and Roger and there would be this kid, Justin St. John who trained at the Monster Factory. He's moved to Utah and become a Mormon, so he's probably better for it, but um, and there would be me, and there would be McKeever, and there would be some other interchangeable part, some mad dog guy that lives up there or somebody. And what we would do is we would have three singles matches. And it was it was scheduled to have six matches on the card, and it would list all of our Would you do the old Tennessee card yeah. where there's like four guys in each locker room? Yes, there's, there's like there's, there's, there's three guys, three heels and three faces, and the match before intermission, of course, the, the the face goes over and the heel gets on him, and then the other heel comes out, and the other heel comes out, and then the two faces come out and scare all the heels away. And then McKeever, who's the promoter, would get on the mic, and he would say, you know what, I'm going to send everybody else home, and it's going to be a six-man elimination tag between you three idiots and us on the second half of the show. We're going to go until the last man's eliminated. When really there was nobody else in the locker room anyway, but six guys. <laughs> so, but, you know, the whole second half of the show would be an hour, hour and 15 minutes of a six-man elimination. But you know what? With guys like Roger and Frank, it was pretty easy because they were both healed. So. Man, those I guys. Mean, and I, was, man, I, can't, I can't. 
I'd lay on a hand grenade for those two guys. Oh, man. The, you know, they were my champions. When I ran at the Secret Cove, they were my death champions. Death and Destruction. Death, yeah, Death and Destruction were my champions. And I had the dark side as Glenn Osborne and the late Chuck Williams. They would come down, and those guys were in a feud. And then I had the, the bad crew who was from uh, from uh, um, the, the, the Samoans in Allentown. The bad crew, they trained them. They would come in once in a while and be a contender, and I'd put a couple other people to be a contender. But I'd put the, the belts were on death and destruction almost for the entire four years that I ran. I mean, I think they dropped them once to the dark side, and then they took them right back. And you know, cause they, they were always heels, and it was better to have a heel with the belt because to me, anybody would come to see them get their butt kicked versus see a, a face win. So I always like the heel to have the, the tag titles or the, or the title. But they were they were the entire four years. After doing two years together in West Virginia, man, those guys, like you said, I, I jumped on a grenade for those guys, and they were so they were so easy to work with. Except one time, I saw them. I it was it was my show. I had booked them against these two guys that I had booked. Um, I had worked with them in West Virginia a couple years before on Scotty's shows, and so I booked them. And they were they were really not cooperative. So I told Roger and Frank, I said, uh, "Look, they don't know what's Straighten them out. Straighten them out." And man, I got that on film, dude. I've got to get that to DVD and send you a copy. And you have never seen two guys been beaten so bad in the wrestling ring by two other guys in your entire life. When I told them to straighten them out, man, let me tell you something. I said, I don't want them to ever call me again to get booked against you guys, if you know what I'm saying. And, yeah, it never hurt to meet one of the guys again. <laughs> wow. Did, did you ever see the two shows that – you were on the show that we did at East Wake a, a while back, right? Yeah. East Wake High School over there? You yeah. were on it, right? Yeah. Did you see the ones we did in 1998 or something? We did two – you know Shane went to school there, right? Oh, Shane Helms went to East Wake. That was his high school. Oh, yeah, yeah. We did two shows there, and this is where Matt and Jeff were about to, you know, shut down the Omega thing and go to WWE full-time, and they were the champs, and me and Shane had been working with them as heels and, you know, the, the Omega territory, which was Cameron and, you know, their hometown. Well, Was that the serial thriller? Yeah, Shane booked... Uh, East Wake You know I don't know He had knew somebody over there or something So we got that booked And uh, we did two shows there Back in the late 90s And we didn't want to be heels there Because Shane was the, like the newspaper Ran an article about the hometown right. boy And all this stuff So we, we were trying to be baby faces Because that was our turf Right. But we were going to wrestle the Hardys For the Omega tag titles Right. And I, we had no idea How we were going to be the baby faces And turn them heel. And uh, Shane said, let's do two shows. Let's do one show where we can establish us as baby faces. And I said, well, we need somebody to work with that will turn us baby face. And we, we were sitting there trying to, like, scratch our heads and think of, of you know, who can do it. That's and we both looked at each other at the same time and at the same time said, Frank and Roger. Yep, absolutely. People and they, man, I don't know if you ever saw that match, but I mean, I've got it somewhere. I'll I'll show it to you. I saw, never saw, I saw it. The, I saw the match with you and you guys and Matt and Jeff that was off the chain. 
Yeah, and and the crowd, and I mean Matt and Jeff did their part too. They came out there and did the, you know, how dare you boo me? I'm a big WWE superstar now. Blah blah blah. And they, they, I mean they 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 played on it, but it worked. And I I, I love a double. I mean, if you can do a double switch like that, I mean you're doing something. Yeah. Especially when you get yeah. no TV. <laughs> exactly. Especially when you have no TV, you're just doing it at spot shows. Yeah, you. That was uh. Yeah, I remember that whole thing. I was around then. Yeah, I wasn't at that. I wasn't Man, at that, that show. Was, but, that was, I mean, that was good work, you know. But news, you know what? News traveled fast back then too. People would say, "Hey, man, you should have seen this match," and they tell you about something they were on a show with or something. You know what I mean? We didn't have the advent of the internet. Nobody had everybody had cell phones. We had the old uh, calling cards and stuff like that. But news traveled fast via the voice because, you know, the thing was it was always the same guy. It was like. Everybody could go. You never worried about who you were going to get put with when you got there because everybody was good. Everybody was trained right, you know. I mean, oh, Nelson, yeah. you know, Nelson, Nelson, I don't know if you know it, Nick, but Nelson Royal trained Mike. Okay, really? In a barn. Yeah, him and, him and Gene, it was a tobacco barn out behind his little western store. Man, I'll tell you what, I don't know how many people know who he is. But Nelson knows knows his shit, or he knew it. He's dead now. But yeah, yeah man. no, no, Nelson. He started way back in the fifties, didn't he? Uh, he wrestled in the sixties and seventies, and he he was kind of fading out in the eighties. Yeah, but, but he uh, was in the fifties. You know, he. I'll I'll give you an example of this is one of those epiphanies in this business. Uh, Nelson was always, and you know, you heard this a lot from I'll call them the old timers back in the '80s. These guys like you know, Sweet Hanson and uh, oh, yeah. Rip Hawk, and you know, you, you hear these guys say less is more, slow it down, blah blah blah. And I always thought, well, shit, these guys are just old, fat, and out of shape, and they can't do nothing, so they're trying to hold the young guys back so we don't shine them. And when I first went to Nelson's school, I mean, he was trying to be a drill sergeant, right? I mean, he's yelling at you and making you run and beating the shit out of you. And, you know, Gene's in there stretching you and all this stuff. But then once he took a shine to you, he he kind of turns into this, like, mentor, father figure. And I love Nelson. And he was just talking to me one day, and he was explaining how things work. And he said, you know, we were talking about slowing it down or this or that, and he said, you know, you can come out there all you want and, you know, go boom, boom, boom from the, you know, opening bell, but he said if if you don't have some kind of personal issue that the fans know about, they're not going to go with it. You know, you got to you got to build it up right there in that match. And I went, fuck, he's right. You know, you got two guys that walk in a ring and nobody knows who the hell either one of them are, and they just start, you know, going at it like they're – in a fight to the death, and people were like, well, what are these two guys doing? So, I mean, well, that's, that's just one of them things that... That's the psychology. I think I talked about this in the seminar, did I not? Those few eye-opening moments that I had in yep. whatever, 15, 20 yep. years in the business. That yeah. was the first yeah. one. And then the second one was I was in, I was in WWE in 1989. I'd been in the business a maybe a year or two. And uh, Arn Anderson was sitting behind me in a chair. We were looking at the monitor. 
and Barry Horowitz, I mean, I'm not trying to bury anybody or anything. I don't want to bury Barry. But he was working with, uh, what's the, the Uncle Fred, what's that big dude's name? The shop master. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, Fred Oppner. Fred Oppner. Yes, uh, what was his gimmick at the time? The, the, the fucking tugboat uh, captain or whatever. Tugboat. Yeah. Tugboat, tub, right. So he's out there working with Barry Horowitz, and I'm sitting there watching this thing, and I'm going, huh. And I'm just noticing, you know, the crowd ain't into it. And But Barry was doing, I'm sure Barry was calling the match. But he was doing all the big man, little man spots where he tried to tight waist him and he couldn't get his hands around him and he'd spread his arms out and butt bump him and try to body slam him and hurt his back and, you know, all that stuff. And then Tugboat would slam him. And Arn's sitting behind me and Arn goes, everybody works the big man the same. That's why they're not popping. And it's like the light bulb went off over my head. And I'm like, huh. That's how the shit works. And then another thing I remember is I was in ECW, and I'd been in the business, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years at the time. Right. And I was standing in, I mean, Q, you ever do the ECW shows? I mean, they're not always in the, you know, the, the yeah. big auditoriums or whatever. There's one <laughs> no, in the building yeah. where the dressing rooms are in these little offices or something like that. The, the so there's TV, there's a monitor set up back there. Mike, and I'm sitting in this room, and there was nobody in it but me and Raven walked in. And I'll tell you another guy that knows his shit, and that's Raven. Oh, yeah. He's a genius, dude. He yeah, really he is. In the room, and he walks in the room. He always kind of, I mean, me and him always kind of hit it off. So he walks in the room, and I'm sitting there watching this match, and super crazy against somebody. And he's like, hey, Mike, I want to show you something. I'm like, what? And he goes, just just watch. And I'm like, okay, and Super Crazy's out there doing the moonsaults off the second yep. rope, and he's doing the, you know, all the stuff, all the furnums he does. And he's like, you see him doing all that, all that stuff, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, what reaction did he get? And I was like, I don't know, medium. And he goes, okay, now watch and tell me what he does that gets the best reaction. You know what it was? What? The ten punches in the corner where they count in Spanish. Yeah. He's out there, you know, about to break his neck doing a moonsault. I mean, he's one sweaty boot slip away from going to, you know, a quadriplegic. Yeah, he couldn't have really your name for it. Yeah, and he goes in the corner and does the ten punches, which is Little something anybody could do. Yeah, I yeah and, and the crowd, you know, pops for it. The term super simple is long gone. Yeah, you know, there was a reason why they called him super crazy. There couldn't have been a guy that had a more perfect name for what he did. He would just was all over the place. But you know what? It's like, look, you talk about epiphany moment. I'm wrestling Christian York, and it's like 97. He's just out of training. And we're on a show in West Virginia, and uh, uh, Greg Valentine, Tito, Tito Santana in the main event, and Greg watches our match, and York hits me and Vinny Gabini with a moonsault off the top on the outside. And and anyway, he, he goes in the it, – it's coming down to the finish. And he's got me staggered, and he shoots me in, and he tries to do a moonsault off the second rope. I catch him right into a tombstone pile driver, and one, one quick move, boom, bam, one, two, three, came back. 
and Tito was watching. He goes, Jeez. he goes, that was a great match. And I'm like, thanks. And he looked, he looked at a, uh, York, he was talking to the wrestling. He goes, seven uh, uh, months. And Tito goes, you mean seven years? He goes, no, seven months. And he goes, who trained you? And he pointed at me. And Tito goes, you did it right. He goes, hey, can I talk to you over here? I'm like, yeah. And Tito looked at me and he said, look, you take too many bumps and too many chances. I said, what do you mean? He goes, how old are you? I told him, he goes, well, I'm 15 years older than you and I'm still working. He goes, do you want to work in 15 years? I said, yeah, kind of. And he's like, look, watch Greg in my match. I'm going to take one, maybe two bumps. And he's going to take one, maybe two, but watch the crowd's reaction when we take the bumps. Now, at that point, I've been wrestling for 13 years or something, and I watched their match, and I was like, oh, shit, that's how it works. <laughs> make it, it, make like, it mean something. Yeah, and then Greg, and yep. then, uh, they came back, and Tito goes, uh, he, he grabs my arm, he takes me over to York, and he looks at us, he goes, you two still had the best match of the night. I'm like, oh, thanks, man. <laughs> thanks, man. But, you know, he, he told me that, and then Tim Walker was a staff photographer for PWI Magazine back in the 90s in Arabic, and he told me that once, too. He goes, man, he goes, you took, like, two bumps over the top rope and just just crazy bumps for a guy your size. And he goes, you're taking too many chances. And so when Tito said it, it was the second time I heard it in, like, six months, and it really said, and I watched him. And then I started working with my head instead of just my body, which made me far better wrestler. But, you know, you were talking about if two guys don't have an issue, the thing with me that was always made sense is the only reason the heel gets pissed off is because baby face is always one step ahead. And he can't figure yeah, out. he's a better wrestler. Get, yeah, and he can't figure out for the life of him how to get ahead of the baby face. So finally frustration turns into anger and it turns into him taking that shortcut, and that means something. And then the other thing I always I always learn this is it's like if you want to get the most heat of anybody on a show, you cheat where everybody sees it but the ref. Because everybody else is going to gouge and strangle in front of the ref. If you're the guy who does all that stuff where the ref is positioned where he can't see it, you'll get everybody involved. You do something on all four corners that it rings, where you're doing something you're not supposed to do, and everybody on each side of that ring sees it except the ref. And that's how you get people on their feet and screaming at you and screaming at the ref and everything else. And it was it was simple stuff like that that set in, like, it, honestly, probably after about 10 years, 11, 12 years. <laughs> I was a slow learner. Well, Nel- <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because Nelson gave me, a, me and Chuck, I mean, you know me and Chuck were going up there, he right. gave us a very specific lesson on that. He said, and it wasn't like yelling and screaming at us and calling us, you know, stupid ass or whatever. He just said, hey, look, let me show you something, guys. He said, if you cheat and, the, you know, it's the crowd can see that the ref sees it, the heat's not on you for cheating. The heat's on the ref. The ref. Yeah. Right. You don't want the heat on the ref. The ref's supposed to be part of the scenery. Right. The heat's supposed to be on you. And I went, huh. And it was just one of them things where I went, he's right, you know. I mean, I'm because sure. you don't think – and then here's another one. I just thought about this. Uh, remember Don Cronodal? Of course. I, I met him at the one of the right. mega shows, him and his brother. 
Yeah, yeah. Do you remember um, – I don't know if you ever saw this guy. He was actually – I mean, he wasn't the most athletic dude in the world, but he was actually a pretty good – or he was a really good heel, and he was he he did a heel turn and everything. It was a guy named the Golden Bear. Did you ever see him? The Golden Bear? I don't think so. He was a – he kind of looked like Sergeant Slaughter, but he did a, a golfer gimmick and whatever. But he was a really good heel, and he knew. Wait, he, he didn't wear a hood, did he? No, no, he was. Uh, okay. He wore a, like a LeMay suit, like the Million Dollar Man, and he carried the uh, golf club. You, you told me about uh-huh. him before, but I don't remember him. Well, I mean, this was back when we were all still shit and yellow. I mean, he didn't ever ever have any official training or anything. But Got anyway, I, I could go on and on about him all night. But he had a really good gimmick. I mean, Jack Nicholas was the Golden Bear. That's where he got yeah. the name from. Yeah. So he had a match with Don Cronodal one night on a show, and uh, I don't know the promoter, whoever it was, put him over on Don for some reason. He did some kind of screw job, or he, you know, some kind of quick pin or pull the tights or blah blah blah. Right. Well, he he pops up, and I, I noticed this before Don said anything, like. I mean, it was a decent house at night, an indie show. It's probably, I don't know, three or 400 people there. You know, enough people where, you know, you got a crowd. Right. And uh, they were into the match, and I'm sure Don was calling the shots and all that stuff. Well, he, Don puts this guy over. He pulls the tights, puts his feet on the ropes, whatever. And, he, you know, the ref counts three, and, you know, he got the reaction he wanted. The crowd was hot. Well, uh, the Golden Bear, his name was Bart. Uh, Bart jumps up. You know, puts his hands in the air, and he's, I, I don't know if there was a belt involved or whatever, but he's running around, and he's celebrating and jumping up on the ropes, and oh, no. Don's, Don's uh, you know, telling the ref, he pulled, whatever. But I noticed that the the heat he got faded out, like, almost instantly. Right. I went, huh, I wonder what happened. I mean, they had it, and then it was gone. Right. Well, then they come back yeah. to the locker room, and Don comes in there, and he says, let me tell you what you did wrong. And Bart was like, yeah, tell me. And he said, when you got heat like that, you got to swoop the heat. And he said, what do you mean? And he said, when you beat me like that and you've cheated, you slide under the bottom rope and get the hell out of there. I dodge, right. Get the hell I dodge. Right. You don't, he said, when you stand there in the ring and you're holding your hands up in the air and you're running around and I'm standing there, the crowd's expecting me to like get you. That's right. Or, you know, to match it and over, and I'm going to come out, I'm going to win, and then when we don't do it, then they're disappointed. He said, but if you pin me, take off, and you're gone, then they know that's it. And I was like, huh, he's right, you know. <laughs> he's right, you know. I mean, um, it's just that understanding of, I mean, they call it psychology, and that's exactly what it is. It's understanding how people are going to react to what you show them. Sure. Sure. And I mean, I mean, like Dusty Rhodes could have probably been a psychiatrist if he didn't want to be a wrestler. Sure. Oh, sure. And there's a lot of guys like that. It's just like, you know, it's like in tag team wrestling. I always said this, don't, the legal man never has to cheat in tag team wrestling. Even if he, the legal heel never has to cheat. All he's got to do is, all you got to do is chew in the baby faces. And when you spit at him to come in and just go, Oh, take your guy to the corner. 
You don't. You, you get so much heat that way. You never. You never have as as the legal man a heel in a tag team match. You should if you want to get great tag team heat. Never ever be the guy to cheat. Throw the guy in the corner. Distract the ref. Let your guy. Let your illegal man strangle him or something. The ref doesn't see it. But if you want to get great heat in a tag match, just make sure all the heat is put on by the illegal man and the ref doesn't see it. And that gets people furious. Simple. I'll tell you what so many people do wrong, whether it be a manager or a tag match where the illegal man's doing something, is they do it for too long. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. like Pat, Pat Patterson uh, – said something to me and Murray one time about that. We were doing something or whatever. And uh, he said, don't do it until you think the ref's about to turn around and then stop. Right. He said, do it and then go away. Yeah. You know, he said, if you're going to, if the ref's got his back turned, you're going to come in, you're going to double, do an illegal double team on the guy. Don't come in there and beat his ass for 30 seconds while the ref's, got his back turned. He said, come in there bump him right. one time, and then the, the illegal guy gets out, and then the crowd knows you got away with something. You know, again, you're putting the heat on the ref. Or you're putting, the, you know, if you're making the ref look like Mr. Magoo because he can't, you know, sure. catch somebody he, doing something that's been going on he, he for turns around, you know, 15 he minutes. Turns around, right. If he turns around the last second, and he suspects you did something, and he doesn't do anything, he looks like a fuel, a fool. But if you if you're gonna distract the ref for twenty seconds, put the heat on the guy for ten seconds and let the ref turn around when it doesn't look like it. The guy's already falling out of the corner and he's laying on the, the mat still. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, I mean he's down there at the other end of the ring, uh, picking his fingernails like he didn't do anything. It's just like when I'll when tell you, when I'll heat... tell you a really good match. You remember the uh best of seven with Magnum and Nikita? Yes, of course. There was one, I think it was from Greensboro or something. I think it was at one – I think Nikita won best of seven. I think Nikita won three in a row. Right. I think this was match number four. It was the first one that yep. Magnum won, and it was where Ivan was ringside with him, and uh, Magnum did the sunset flip. Nikita was holding the yep. rope, and, and Tommy Young kicked his hand off. Yep. Watch Ivan in that match. I mean, you know, Nikita would – I mean, Nikita was kind of limited at the time, I guess. So, I mean, he would throw Magnum out. And Ivan would come over there, you know, Ivan would be like down on one knee at ringside at the opposite corner. And Nikita would throw Magnum out, and Ivan would run down there and do something to him, hit him or choke him or kick him or something. Then he would run back and get back on one knee like he was before. Yep. Yeah, like you never really do shit. I didn't do shit. Yep. You know, and the ref, and Tommy Young, you know, you don't, I mean, I don't think a referee has ever lived that was better than he was. No, he was freaking great. You know, and he'd turn around and he'd sell it and, you know, all that stuff. And it was just like, it was like tremendous. And it was, the crowd was like getting heated. And that's what you want. Yeah, you can't, you, you know, and all that stuff is such a fine line. And that's what experience and working with guys who give you that kind of knowledge. That's the importance of it right there. Because, you know, it's just like anything. It's like, I don't know how many times I've seen, a, you know, a baby face shine up real good and the heel starts to go to the heat. But he keeps the heat on him too long. He doesn't give him any life or breathe any life into him. And he's got the heat on oh, yeah, him so long. Him alive. The people give up on the match. They just give up on yeah, him. Yeah, I mean, it's like, well, fuck, beat him already. Yeah, right, exactly. You're obviously kicking the shit out of him, you know. 
and 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 that's that's one of the things that I learned is like you can't put too much heat on a guy. It all you got to do is you know put some heat on, go over to pick him up, and have him give you two or three shots in the midsection so the the crowd starts to come up and back off. Then you can go right back and give him a side D and cut it down. But so many guys go so long before you even giving that guy a couple shots to the gut that they just take. It's like the crowd becomes a uh, still life painting. You know, they just they give that's, up on it. That's where you've got a heel who's not trying to get heat. He's trying to get his shit in. Yeah, yeah, and that's so common. And I, I'll, I'll, this is, there's another light bulb. You keep reminding me of these things. Here's another light bulb moment. Tommy Dreamer. All right, another guy that I would lay on a hand. Tommy Dreamer, Tracy Smothers. Yeah. I mean, there's a handful of guys out there that, I mean, just. So, me and Murray had a match somewhere in ECW, and it was Dreamer. And um, who was that Japanese guy that used to wrestle Mike Awesome all the time that did the damn roaring elbow where he'd spin around and forearm you in the face? Yeah, no, I know who you're talking about. I don't know what his name was. Anyway, it it was him and Dreamer against me and Murray. Right. And Dreamer takes the heat in this match. And Dreamer just comes over to us and he goes, look, when you guys put this heat on me, what was it? Kabashi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he looked like he was real stiff, but he really wasn't. But anyway, he uh, Dreamer comes over to me and Murray and he says, look, when you guys put this heat on me, he said, don't bump me a thousand times. He said, just beat me up. And I went, I mean, I immediately understood. Yeah. I mean, there's no need to keep power bombing him and, you know, double choke slamming him and making him kick out every finish in the world. Just beat the shit out of him. That's heat, you know? Yeah. Get him down there and pound his ass. And that's what we well, did. And, you know, the people were right there with it. And, here, and here's the thing, too, is that you, know, you want to be careful. Like, you don't want to start wrestling with a baby face because. If you do something, one move that's cooler, they'll switch, and then you're screwed. So as a oh, heel, yeah. you you never see me do any wrestling moves as a heel. My big, I mean, my biggest wrestling move as a heel is I might do a suplex, try for a second one, and you reverse it, you know, as sort of a little tiny hope spot. But I mean, that was, I mean, that was it. It was it was punch and bite and scratch and dig and kick and knees and. You know, all that stuff. It was just because I was always so afraid of that because I've seen that happen years ago when you see a, 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 a good wrestling baby face and a good wrestling heel, that if that heel hits one move that is just smoother and sweeter than anything the baby's hit so far, that crowd will flip in a second. And then you end up with like a, it's just like, ugh. It's like, you know, I have a comparison. Imagine this. You're a tent, you're drunk, you're at a party. You're the tenth line guy in line for a gangbang. You get all the way up there, and it's your sister. And you're like, <laughs> you know, it's that. yeah. I mean, you know, uh, you talk about these people. You look at all these great workers and great heels and all this stuff. I mean, everybody always gives Arn Anderson all this credit for being a great heel, but he was a great worker. But yep. I mean, you know, if you ask me, Tully Blanchard was a better heel than he was. Oh, nobody liked Tully. I agree 100% with it because Arn would often uh, be a wrestling heel. You know what I mean? He would yeah, do I mean, a lot he's of he's out there doing spine busters and uh, yep. whatever that yep. fucking suplex was where he dropped gourd busters. And he's doing yep. all these super cool moves and he's popping the crowd. 
you know, and then it's like you're not supposed to like him. You know, whereas hey, Tully Mike, just, I mean, hey, for Mike, one thing, he Mike, had a, yeah. Mike, hold on for a second. We've got to do a commercial spot. We've been talking almost nonstop. We gotta, don't go anywhere. Just hold on. Hey, okay. Hey, uh, Nick, let's do a commercial spot in real quick. Mike, hold on. We're not done yet. Okay. All right, guys. We'll be right back right after this. Hey guys, I gotta tell you about this new product that Q-Ball and I just started using. It's called RedlineGoods.com. Q, I was on, I ordered a bunch of products from this site, man, and you weren't lying. Man, I'm telling you, you know that tuner car I got, that old Eclipse that I've been working on? I got the, it's called the flat side steering wheel. It's a steering wheel, and it's all hand-stitched. And it's the bottom side that it run is flat and it's for, you know, tuner cars. And I got the matching boot for the shifter that is handmade and hand-stitched Italian leather. Let me tell you something, dude. This thing looks sweet. The rest of the car, not so good. But the steering wheel, the boot cover, fantastic. Well, I'm going to tell you, I got 1993 LeBaron, and my kids are so embarrassed when I drive this thing around. I went on this site you told me about. I used the promo code... Q-Ball, save 15%, and my kids love it. I got the coolest looking shifter. I've got new pads on the brake and the gas. I mean, I have done this thing up. The outside still needs some work, man. This place is loaded with colors, and it's shipped worldwide. Like, you were not kidding. I mean, I am shocked. And you know what, Nick? Everything's hand-stitched and handmade in its own shop by him and his family. So, you know, it's, it's handcrafted Italian leather. It's amazing stuff. It, it's redlinegoods.com. Uh, the owner's name is Mike. He's a friend of ours. And if you just happen to mention promo code QBall, you're going to save 15% on your entire order. So make sure you go there, folks, redlinegoods.com, all one word, redlinegoods.com, and check out their selection of really nice handmade Italian leather, Kutra Monster vehicle, and a lot of other cool products they have for cars. Pro Wrestling Universe, it's time once again for Turnbuckles, Trunks, and Titles. All right, guys, we're back here. You have now downloaded the show on your podcast, whatever app you're using. I think we're just about available for all of them. If we are not yet, we will be. And, of course, T-Ball Carmichael and uh, Mike Maverick is with us as well. So, Q, pick it up. Yeah, you know, it's uh, we are available on, uh, let's see, I don't know, at least iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, I think pretty much everything. But uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, talking to my old buddy Mike Maverick, who uh, I don't know how far we go back, but at least probably 25 years. 
It's been 20, probably 25 Shit, years now. I'm, I'm trying to remember. I met you that night at that bowling alley oh, with the Dexter the Holly show. You remember that? Tell the story. Shit, I would if I could remember it. <laughs> All right, I'll tell the story. I remember. I'll tell, I'll tell, I'll tell the story. Wasn't because... that dude's name Dexter Holly, that promoter? Yeah, yeah. Here, I, and I've not heard good things about him since then, by the way. I've heard only bad things. Jack Lord told me bad things about him. But too, he, so. uh, he was booking, I think that was the when Jane was first getting in, and we hadn't done the serial yep. thrillers thing yet. And yeah. uh, I think he called yep. and asked me if I'd book the show for him. Yeah. So I tried, and I showed up there, and he had about 20 people there that I didn't book. <laughs> so I was like, all right, uh, what am I supposed to do here? And Q, I think you showed up with Tom Casati. Am I right? Uh, yeah, there was me, Casati, Brandy. Hold on. Yeah. And I'm losing all the volume. Oh, here. Let me, me try Kizzati. that. Okay. Me, Casati. I think it was you, Tom Casati. I think Julio was with you. And I think this Slam was with you. Yeah. Um, we were two cars. Jason was Knight was with you. Yep. Yep. Jason was with us. I think Tom Brandy was there too. Um, here's here's the one thing that I remember is when Bill Eady, who was going to work that night, I think it's Matt Superstar. And it was. Oh yeah. It was, was Sean Michaels want to be. Yes, it was the first time I met I met Bill, and I was booked I was booked against him. Already two weeks out in Pennsylvania, so I'm like, "Hey, how you doing, sir? I'm I'm cue ball promoter Chris Jackson. I said we're gonna be working together for, and I named the promoter, and, and he goes, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah." He goes, "I heard about you." He goes, um, "I'm like, okay, so this kid he's working went by the name of Lady Killer. Now here's the funny thing: he dressed just like Shawn Michaels, he had Shawn Michaels hair, but he had Jack the Lantern teeth, so it was quite an interesting look. So." He goes up to Bill, and he says, I don't mind doing that hardcore shit if you're into it, man. That was his first words to Bill, Edie. <laughs> and I saw Bill look up and go, oh, yeah? <laughs> exactly. So I see Bill walk over. He just casually puts his boots on. His daughter was there. Puts his boots on. He's talking to her. And he goes over to the ref, who's about two feet from me. And he goes to the ref. He goes, when we go outside of the ring, don't count us out. And I'm like, oh. And I'm like, watch this match, guys. And so Bill took this kid. And I remember the one, he beat the living daylights out of him. But I remember this one spot. And now we're going back 25 years. So Bill is fresh off, you know, his his last WWE run. He's still, you know, a big, huge guy anyway. And uh, so I remember he put the trash can over this kid's head. And there were bottles and stuff in it. And then he hits the kid with this running clothesline from about 20 feet across the plastic trash can full of bottles, and the kid goes down, and all you do is hear bottles breaking inside the trash can when Bill hits it. And the kid's I mean, that a- kid was – that guy could have – he could tread water in a garden hose. I mean, he was he was like an emaciated yeah. goose. You were like a mess. He, he was – John Michaels' gear. Yeah, he might have been – Didn't Bill – He might have been 5'10", a buck 40. Maybe. And, Didn't uh, Bill pick him up somehow and throw him head first <laughs> into the oh, trash well, can somehow and then stood him uh, up? Or, I don't know. Oh, yeah. I it was full of bottles and there was a bunch of noise yeah. and glass and blood. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, Bill, Bill shit canned him. He, he ran him right down the side of the ring 
into the trash can laying on the side head first again after the bottles had already broken there. I mean, it was it was as close to the good old fashioned western cowboy and Indian massacre as I think I'd ever seen. <laughs> you know, I mean it was bad. And so I mean what what's wrong with going up to Bill if you're this guy and saying, Hey Bill, my name's Mike, uh pleasure to meet you. Tell me what you want me to do. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what I did in two weeks because I still had that crash in my mind. And I'm like, hey, uh, I met you a couple weeks ago. And he goes, oh, yeah, not my best night. And I said, well, um, you know what? Just uh, let me know whatever you want to do. And, you know, it's, it's, I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, just let me know what you need me to do, and I'll be, I'll, I'll do my best for you. And uh, he was like, oh, okay. So after that, I – I started wrestling pretty regularly. I mean, he would, when he go to Pennsylvania, he'd ask some promoters to book me. And we had one match. We had one match. Bill came back to the locker room. He looked at me and he goes, that's the match. I said, what do you mean? He goes, that's the match you and I could have done six nights a week on the road back in the day, 150, 200 nights a year. We could have done that match. Nobody got hurt. It was easy, easy. The fans were into it. Everything was right with that match. That's the match you could do six nights a week with a guy traveling. I was like, okay, I won the lottery on that one. So another uh, another thing Nelson taught me. He said, and this is kind of funny in wrestling because everybody, I mean, like I call you cue ball. I don't call you Chris. Right. And I called. I mean, I've known uh, CW since he was 16 years old, and I, I still call him CW. I don't call him Chris. Right. But. Uh, you know today's his birthday, right? Yeah, I wish him happy birthday. Uh, anyway, I mean, it's just like Nelson told me. He said, whenever you introduce yourself to one of the other boys, he said, always introduce yourself by your real name. Yeah, absolutely. He, and he said, whenever you address one of the other boys, he said, unless you really know them personally, always call them by their gimmick. Yep. That's a good I mean, you know, I wouldn't walk up to Hunter... Uh, Triple H and go, hey Paul, you know what? You wouldn't walk. You wouldn't walk. Go, hey Mark, yeah, that would be a good way to end up that if you wanted the Undertaker oh. does that. Fancy yeah, but happen. I also wouldn't walk up to the Undertaker and introduce myself and go, hey man, I'm jacked up. Nice to meet you. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I learned that etiquette a long time ago. Those guys said the same thing. I don't care what your wrestle is, but you always love to know what your real name is and that what your gimmick name yep. is. Say I'm Mike Howell. Goes, nice to meet you. Yep, exactly. And, you know, it's it's funny it's funny how it works because, you know, I mean, I knew a long time that C.W. and I had the same last name or the same same first name, but he's actually Christopher Lee Wright and I'm Christopher Lee Jackson. We have the exact same first full name and middle name spelled exactly the same. We didn't – you know when we – you know when we figured that out? Four years ago. <laughs> no. Four years ago on the way to WrestleCade. We've known each other 25 years. Four years ago, on the way to WrestleCade, we figured it out. That's how important it was. Oh, <laughs> well, there you go. I know, right? I know. It's funny. It, it's like, Do you know, know that I was – I mean, you know how long I've been around and all the people, blah, blah, blah. I was listening to something on the radio, I want to say maybe six months ago or something. Do you know that I never knew until then that Jesse Ventura was not his real name? What's his real name? Ah, fuck, I don't know. 
<laughs> but it ain't Jesse Ventura. Clyde Fongard. I was like, but it was some kind of interview or something, and he's like, yeah, I got the name Jesse from this, and I got the name uh, yeah. Ventura from Ventura Beach, California. And I'm like, yeah. Well, I like, almost ran my car off the road. But he illegally changed but, his name to that, though. I, I don't know. But when, I mean, he was a governor, oh, no, and he they called him Governor Ventura. Yeah, no, he did, he legally yeah. changed his name. But but that wasn't his real name. <laughs> I, I had to look it up, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I, I did not know that. Look, I met a guy doing business um, about six months ago. His real name is Lee, and his last name is Cool, C-O-O-L. I'm like, how come I can't have a cool last name like you? His <laughs> right. name's Lee Cool. I mean, Jackson, come on. That's not original. How? Thurston Howell the third? That's only Howell ever. Yeah. yeah. Never heard that before. I yeah, I used to do that impression, remember? Remember when I used to do that? I used to do that once a while ago. I'm gonna say Thurston that is fun Thurston. Dude, I've been hearing that since the first grade. <laughs> I listen, I heard Action Jackson from the Action Dial figure or Michael Jackson's brother since like kindergarten, so I know. It sucks. That's what I'm saying. We couldn't have cool names. Hey, Mike, I'm going to ask you this. Would you consider – I got a guest book next week. I got Francisco Chiazza, who just did that documentary that won the uh, uh, California Film Festival Award. He's on next week. Um, would you come back on in a couple of weeks with us and finish this up? Yeah, no problem. All right, let's just plan on this. Um, I got him on the 14th. Why don't you plan on coming back on the 21st because we haven't even scratched the surface of our normal conversation. No, we haven't. All right, man. Sounds good. That That'd works. Awesome. You okay with that, Nick? It works. Oh, Just very much. Yes, text. I feel like you did. Text back. me the details so I don't so I don't get wrapped up. And... I will I will remind you gently like I did this week. Outstanding, <laughs> sir. <laughs> hey, brother. It's good talking to you. I'll chat with you later in the week, and uh, thanks for coming on, Mike. Same here, man. I enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Yeah. No, yeah, we'll talk to you. Okay. Well, talk to you later. All right, man. Thanks. Boom. You talk about oh. hitting the home run for a guest, huh? Q, you nailed it, buddy. You nailed it. <laughs> you it, it doesn't matter. Like I said, we've been friends for 23, 24 years. So, I mean, you know what? It's like you get a guy like him. It's unfortunate because. There's, there's guys who love to get on the show that, that are back in the era, but some of them still have contracts and can't do the show and stuff. But, you know, it would be – I don't think it would be as similar because Mike – the thing about Mike and I is I think we've always shared a common brain when it comes to wrestling. The only other guy like that is with me is like Damian Wayne. But yeah. Mike is Mike is more conversational um, with me. We Mike and I talk – Damian and I talk. But Mike and I used to literally talk for three hours on the phone or four hours on the phone at a time. It just, like, never gets old because we share that common mentality for wrestling. And plus, we're friends. And, you know, we go back so far. It's just like Mike and I just click, man. It's always a great fit with Mike. We just always click. We have – oh, man. Dude, we got so much – if he's listening, we got to talk about the hot dog eating contest I won. It, there's just there's just so much to talk about. <laughs> well, that's it. We never even hit the surface. That's why I say I'm looking so forward to uh, two weeks from now. 
Yeah, that was great. I got that text, and I'm glad that he agreed to it because it's, it's going to be another great show. So absolutely. That's you got to remind you listen. You got to remind me. You got to butt in here and say, "Hey, we need to we need to do a commercial." Because you see what happens when I'm in charge. Yeah, but I I get so wrapped up in it. I mean, I'm sitting there listening and laughing, and as he's saying names, I'm looking up certain guys. Like right. I think the Japanese guy he was thinking of, it wasn't Kishara. I think it was Tanaka's who he was talking about because him and Austin oh, yeah. had matches everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's a good. Tanaka. But no, I I get so wrapped up in it, dude, that I'm loving it. And for me, it's a I'm a fan. You know, right. I just because I've been there. This to me is like a total release to enjoy. And uh, no, buddy, if I really thought, okay, I got to cut in here, I will. But otherwise, okay. I'm very happy with it. Good. I thought it was a good show. And I mean, that's what TripleTRadio.com is for. I mean, our sponsors are there. We we plug them here. We always do somehow, some way. But TripleTRadio.com always has our sponsors. People know that this show we bring you guys from Blog Talk. Intro Dave helps out. All these companies stop with T-Ball. I mean, we're very fortunate. So I mean. For me to sit back and listen, buddy, it's uh, hey, that's a hell of a way to kick off 2020. Hey, what did you, yeah, what did you think about next week's guest, Francisco Chiazzi? What did you think about that uh, movie Journeyman he was in, the, the documentary? How good was that? It was awesome, dude. Uh, I'm gonna sit down and watch it again this week, so I want to take some notes on it. But I sat and watched it. I it's so good. It's so good. I told him today. I said, you know, I texted him. I said, I said, wow, I just can't tell you how it was. A, it was, it was in the top two wrestling documentaries I've ever seen. It's not the best one because it was most interesting to me um, because it covered the side of the business that I've spent most of my life in. So for me, it was the best one that I'd ever seen. And I, I told him that, and you know, that's why I said, ask for a clip for the show. But I mean, gosh, you know, it's, it's gritty and it's, it's the lifestyle, it's the grind, it's, you know, the success, and it's the failure, and it's the struggle, and it's just, it's everything that a guy, you know, I was out there for 30, pretty much 32 years, and except for three or four to five, whatever, doing occasional enhancement work for the WWE, I was always an indie guy, and I know the grind, and I know the travel, and I know the lifestyle, and I know the toll that it takes. So as I watch this movie, I find all these emotions that I went through for 30 years are, like, brought back to the surface, and I'm watching parts of this documentary with tears rolling down my cheeks because I'm like, oh, my God, that is, that's exactly where I was. That's exactly what I went through, and he, they put it to film so well it just ripped and my heart it's like the movie The Wrestler you know where he was back on the indies and trying to make ends meet it reminded me of that it's just the grind man and nobody knows it until you do you know when you do Goldsboro North Carolina on, on Friday night or you do Pittsburgh Pennsylvania on Friday night you do Goldsboro North Carolina on Saturday night you do Pittsburgh or Cleveland Sunday afternoon 
you don't understand that that's a 1,450 miles worth of travel and you did that weekend, not counting the time out of the car to fill the gas, to eat, to go to the bathroom, to get to the wrestling show, to get your boots on, get you do your do the three or four hours you're at the show and get back in the car and no sleep and drive, 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 and it's, it's getting home at five or six the next morning after the loop's all over again. It's just like, you know, that was just hit me so head on. It was like, wow, it was very moving for me. It was a very, very realistic, very great portrayal of the life, life of an independent wrestler who's out there doing 100, 125, 150 nights a year, just grinding it out. It was it was perfect for me. If I can't wait to have him on the show. You guys got to remember, too, if you go to TripleTRadio.com, the official movie trailer for Journeyman is actually up on the site. So check it out before next week's show. And then, obviously, he's going to plug it in to where you guys will be able to see it when the time comes. But check it out there. You can see the trailer. And I can guarantee you, you're going to watch the trailer. And you'll realize just how much you, the respect you have for these guys. And, and you know, you just mentioned everything, they, like the, the grind and the miles and, and you know, not even to mention out of all that, like, and still try to get a pump on before the show if he's lucky enough to hit a gym. So, I mean, you guys think of all that stuff, and uh, I guarantee you'll watch this, you'll love it. The, well, this the, the show it. itself is worth the price of admission. That's how good it is. Yeah, the, 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 the documentary that he did shows all that hitting the gym and, do, you know, everything you have to do. All the travels, the trials, the tribulations, you know, all of it spot on in this this movie. And I can tell you that go and check out the trailer. The you know the the film won the best documentary at the California Film Festival this year about an indie wrestler on the road, the struggle, the grind. It won a, a really big documentary film award. The California uh, Documentary Film Award is one of the biggest in the world. Um, so they get the most documentary scene to rate in that 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 um, that particular group than any other group that receives documentary films. So it gets the most. So to go through all the ones that they've seen that cover everything, to actually pick the winner as best documentary of the year, being about independent wrestling, that tells you how good that that film is. So you know, yeah, yeah, he's gonna be. Here. He's going to be here next week. He's going to talk about it, making it, the grind, uh, everything like that. It's going to be great. He'll probably be a T-show guy, too. So I can't wait, Q. I'm looking forward to it. All right, Nick, I'm going to go get warm and uh, get ready for bed. I know you're going to, too. We've got a big day tomorrow. And uh, thanks for everything, man. And, and I can't wait to have our buddy Mike back on. Oh, you know what, buddy? Thank you. And I'm going to Thanks, man. I appreciate everything you do. All right, buddy. Later, boys.